Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's open our Bibles up or digital devices to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5. The Gospel of Matthew in chapter 5. And I just want to talk for a few minutes this morning about some words that Jesus spoke over 2,000 years ago. This is a really famous portion of scripture here. This includes the Sermon on the Mount. Anyone heard of the Sermon on the Mount? Uh, just amazing words of Jesus, sometimes pulled out of context, but when you understand the context, it's, it's really beautiful to see what Jesus was saying and really showing us what it looks like to live out this kingdom life. And so he's delivering this message. So among many other things that Jesus spoke about during the Sermon on the Mount, he speaks about this idea of us as human beings, okay? Us as human beings being salt and light. How many are familiar with this? Of being salt and light. And so he's giving this talk to a group of people that have gathered actually on the side of a mountain. It's near the lake uh, Gennesaret, near Capernaum. And they're actually, there's this little fishing town that he's near that's right kind of on the northern shore of Lake Gennesaret. And so the location of the Sermon on the Mount is really interesting to me because you think about this, Jesus had multitudes that said following him. We, we read in the scripture that there were upwards to four or 5,000 men, not including women and children at one time, who would follow Jesus. Now, there's a lot of different reasons I believe this was. I do believe many thought he was the Messiah, I do believe many were encouraged by his words. I mean, of all the Jewish rabbis of the time, he's the one who accepted any and everybody. And so you felt accepted. Also during this time, there was um, a, a great amount of lack and starvation and hunger. And so even in the feeding of the 5,000, there's something huge in that when you think about it, because I don't want to get in the history of it, but even Rome would go into cities many times in these starving communities and they would hand out bread, kind of a way to entice them to say yes to Caesar, yes to government. And here we have Jesus saying, don't worry, I'll provide for you, no strings attached. And so there's so much that's going on, even politically, uh, even against the establishments of empire and religion, and Jesus ended up dying on a cross for it, amen? But there's so many implications of this, but what I love is that the location of the Sermon on the Mount is likely to have been northwest of this lake. And so Jesus, he gave this sermon long before, think about this, long before there was amplification, microphones, and speakers, so we think, man, did Jesus have to really yell really loudly? What's interesting about this area, the way it's shaped, if you actually look at the lake of Gennesaret, it actually is shaped like a bowl. And it has strong winds that are either are pushing off the lake or pushing back. So in this, in this account, Jesus was actually up on the mountain speaking down. So uh, many people think that the winds were actually carrying, going towards the lake. And so you could speak at a decent volume and it would cover, the wind would carry your voice. Isn't that cool? Whereas, have you ever seen those moments where Jesus said, hey, can I use your boat? And he would get on the boat out in the lake and speak. We're thinking, why did he do that? Well, because the winds were most likely pushing in to land and he could speak and be heard. Isn't that cool? If you don't believe me, when I was uh, in uh, this blues band and we were touring and we were doing these blues festival and we did this festival in Wisconsin, I believe it was, the, the, Bay, the Bay Blues Festival. 
And it was crazy because before we went on, I'm out in this sea of like 15 or 20,000 people just kind of checking out their perspective before we go on. And I'm listening to these bands and it was crazy because you'd see them playing and a gust of wind would come off the water and all of a sudden you hear nothing. I'm talking about speaker stacks, huge speaker stacks. Literally the wind would, you'd be like, yeah, this is awesome getting into it. And you'd be like, what, where, where'd the sound go? Like the sound would disappear because the wind would take it with it. Isn't that awesome? And so to me, I think, I don't know, just a little cool thing. It's pretty ingenious if you ask me. Jesus thought, where's the wind going? Let's talk from here. Let's speak from here. Because Jesus really wanted people to hear what he had to say. But what I want to do is I want to pick up here in verse 13 of Matthew chapter 5. Look what Jesus says. He says, you are the salt of the earth. Now stop there for a minute. Who is the salt of the earth? You are. I want us to key in on this. Jesus is identifying who you are. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But look at this. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by people. Now we're going to get somewhere this morning with this. This is so cool. Look at this, verse 14. He also says that you are the what? Light of the world. Say light of the world. Look at this. He says, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden. See, I have friends who are in real estate, and there's a saying, location, location, location. You heard this before? It's all about the location. Jesus is, is somehow trying to identify that we're salt and light, that there's something about how we taste the people or how we come across, and also the location that we see ourselves in. I want us to see this this morning. He says this, he says, a city cannot be hidden on a hill, right? Nor do people light a lamp just to put it under a basket. That wouldn't be very smart. He says, but they put it on a lampstand and what does it do? It gives light to all, say all, who are in the house. Look at this, your light must shine before men. I love this, in such a way. In other words, you need to hear this because this is really important. This is the way it happens, that they may see your what? Good works, Good works are important, aren't they? Now, again, where they come from matters. I know that, you know, years ago, as this grace movement began, and I, like, latched on, like, this is cool. The grace of God's cool. There was almost this part of it that was saying, hey, I don't have to do nothing anymore because the grace of God's awesome. And partly true. You don't, you don't got to do nothing, right? But the love of God, the grace of God, actually moves you to do something, and even Jesus, the apostles, they say that these good works matter. But look at this. He says, you must, your light must shine before men in such a way that they see your good works and do what? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, this is, this is really cool to me, this idea of glorify. That, that word glory in the Greek is the word doxa. And it means to have a good opinion of. So think about this. How you act, how you talk, how you walk, how you respond, the things that you do... These good works, what do they do? They let others see who God really is. They actually have a good opinion of who God is. Because unfortunately, religion sometimes has painted the wrong picture of God. And there's a lot of people in this day and age, just look around, who don't have a very good opinion of God. And I think it's because we painted the wrong picture. We're to be salt and light. So say this with me, salt and light. So here's the question. Are you tasteless and hidden? 
in your life. Now, I want to talk for a minute about this idea of salt because why would Jesus say that we're the salt of the earth? Now, in his time, it's really important to understand kind of the thought process of why Jesus said what he said, or the apostles wrote what they wrote, or even in the Old Testament, they wrote what they wrote, because it was all from their perspective, in their time, to certain people, for certain reasons, right? Well, in ancient times, it, it wasn't something, this salt in particular, it wasn't something that was easily accessible. And how many know when you don't have a lot of something, it becomes very valuable, and so in the time of Jesus, salt was extremely valuable. It was used in religious ceremonies by the Egyptians. It was used in trade. It was an essential part of their diet and even our diet today. How many know you need to have salt in your diet? Even if the doctor prescribes a low sodium, you have to have salt in your diet. If you don't, you die. Without salt, you die. So you need it. It seasons things. It seasons things. My wife's really good at seasoning with things and seasoned salts. It preserves foods. And so in this time, salt was of crucial importance economically. It was a necessity. It was important. Have you ever heard the expression, uh, yeah, he's not worth his salt? They're not worth their salt. You know, this stems from the practice of trading slaves for salt in ancient Greece. So if you traded, you know, for salt for a, for a slave and they didn't measure up, you say, yeah, he's not worth his salt. Interesting, isn't it? Where we get these different things. There also were these special salt rations that were given to the Roman soldiers, and they were known as the salarium argentum. It's where we get the word salary. Anyone ever worked a job and been paid by, on salary? That's where we get it from. These salt rations that were given to the Roman. My whole point is that salt was extremely valuable. Think about this, extremely Valuable. You can find references on salt in languages around the globe, particularly regarding salt used for food. How many know this? How many watch Food Network? And so salt was an important trading commodity carried by explorers as well. So if you do a quick Google search and you put in, where did the term salt of the earth come from? Well, some references are right here. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth, right? But by definition, if you look this up, it says it's an individual or group considered as representative of the best or noblest elements of society. So think about this. Being described as, some, as someone who is the salt of the earth is quite a compliment. Jesus was complimenting the people that were listening to him that day. He says, you are the salt of the earth. That's pretty amazing. This is before the cross. Jesus is telling people, you are the salt of the earth. It means that you are a person of great worth and reliability. How many have realized something that Jesus usually can see in you the potential and the goodness and the greatness before you can? Come on. I mean, that's really, if you want to say the job of the Holy Spirit, is to remind you how valuable you are to point you back to your righteousness, a big religious sounding word, which means right standing, or even a deeper um, um, investigation in that word means as you always were. The gospel is trying to awaken people to their origin, this sense of connection to the divine, to God. Isn't that powerful? And so when you awaken the people to the truth of who they are, they begin to walk out life differently, don't they? But think about this. He says if, if salt loses its saltiness, right, and is tasteless, it's basically just throw it out to be trampled underfoot, right? 
Well, the word tasteless just in the dictionary means lacking flavor. I like this. The vegetables were watery and tasteless. I love these little sentences they put in the dictionary, right? Look at this. The second definition, considered to be lacking in aesthetic judgment or to offend against what is regarded as appropriate behavior, like a tasteless joke. See, sometimes with good intentions, even I have been guilty of this, Ministers of the gospel, preachers, pastors, teachers, I think sometimes we have delivered, let me say this right, we have delivered our interpretation or version of God in such a way that it's become tasteless to those hearing it. Tasteless as in offensive. And so what's it say? It says that it's, it's, it's only good for throwing out and being trampled underfoot. People wonder why people don't want to hear about this God or the gospel and they just trample under the foot and that's worthless to them. It's because it's tasteless. It's lost its savory, tasty seasoning. It's lost its goodness. Is this making sense? And so Jesus is saying it's really important because you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. He says this, let your light shine before men. So shine. This is important. Before men in such a way that they may see your good works, which does what? Glorifies your father who is in heaven. I'm telling you that meaning. It it gives people a good opinion of who God truly is. I think sometimes we've just painted the wrong picture. And people want nothing to do with that. Are you following me this morning? Okay, so again, Jesus says, you are the salt. You are the light. So why don't you season? Why don't you shine? But how do we do this, Jesus? He told us, through good works. Think about this. You, say me, you bring flavor and meaning to the world around you. I mean, think about that. If, if you woke up every day, And I understand some days are harder than others. I get it. I live real life too. Just because I have the word pastor in front of my name doesn't mean that, you know, it's just rainbows and unicorns and everything's great every day. I wish. I prayed the prayer and I never had a problem again in my life. That's not reality. But if you woke up every day despite those circumstances and said, you know what? I'm going to bring some flavor and meaning to this world. You know, you can only do that if you see the value within yourself. And I believe it's important that we're encouraged through places like this, times like this, spending time with God, spending time in prayer, reading the scripture, digging into some stuff to say, wow, God, you really do see the value in me. I do have purpose in life and I can bring flavor and meaning to this world. Now think about this. Who is Jesus talking to? It's over 2,000 years ago. He's talking to this group of Jews and Gentiles who have gathered on this mountain, right? None of those that were there that day hearing these words of Jesus had been to Bible school. I mean, now maybe there was a rabbi or two out there, a religious leader who had been trained by another rabbi, but I'm talking about like the common man. There was no one there who had been to Bible school. There was no one there who had ever stepped foot into a New Testament church because it didn't exist yet. No one ever heard of the sinner's prayer. They didn't hear about this new life in Jesus. They were Jews and Gentiles that followed Jesus up this little mountain and heard him say things like, blessed are the poor in spirit, the mourning, the meek, those who are hungry for righteousness. In other words, those who are are hungry for discovering their true identity, 
who they really are. Blessed are the merciful, the pure in heart. We, we know what it says, the peacemakers. Come on, we could use some of those in this day and age, right? Blessed are the persecuted for righteous sake, righteousness sake, or my sake, he would say. He said, blessed are you. And then he says, you, say you. Who's the you? We can say us, but at this time, who was the you? The people on the mountain listening. Listen, the Bible wasn't written necessarily to you, but it's for you. So yes, we're included in this, but I want us to see that Jesus is speaking to people before the new covenant was even initiated, saying you are the salt, you are the light. Jesus was already finding value in those around us. If we could get the eyes of Jesus for just three seconds, even one second, the person that you work to work next to, you know, at your job, the person that you run into at the grocery store, the person you live with every day called your spouse, maybe you would see them differently and approach them differently and begin to see value in their life. Because too many times it's an us and them mentality and we're like, wow, I'm, I'm better than them. Why? Well, because I go to church every Sunday and I know how to pray and I read my Bible and I'm special. Well, yeah, you're special, but we're all special to God, right? I tell my kids, you're all just as special. <laughs> but, right, we're all special to God. We're his creation. We're, we're made in his image and likeness. Would that change our viewpoint? This is how I believe Jesus could just just accept people. And here's the thing. If you have any issue, if you're wrestling in your mind with, with this verbiage or this idea that these people before the new covenant were, were salt and light. Listen, Jesus said it, not me. How many follow Jesus? How many, let me see the hands online. Anyone follow Jesus? You, everyone in here, online. Well, if we follow Jesus, I think it's really important we pay attention to his words. Right? And it makes sense to me because the Apostle Paul at Mars Hill, he had this great speech and he quotes these Greek poets, but he says this, in him, in Christ, we live, move, and have our being. The gospel to me isn't so much telling you how bad you are, it's telling you the potential and who you truly are. If you're made in the image and likeness of God, you're his children, you just don't know it yet. Why do you think Paul uses orphan language? Well, who's, who, who is an orphan? What is an orphan? Someone who doesn't know who their family is. Does that mean that they, don't, they didn't come from that family? No, it just means they don't know. I know this is, this is tricky for some of us. It, we have to do a lot of mental gymnastics to wrap our head around some of this because of what we've taught or what we've heard. And let me say this, I don't have it all right. I do my best, but I'm never one to say, this is what it says and this is what I believe and I'm the only one who's right. I love to sit down and have conversations. I've learned how to be completely open, but that openness has also led me to think outside the box to what is this scripture really saying? What is the original language really saying right now? Original language matters, doesn't it? I like what Jake Stringer says. He says, reading an English version of the Bible is not studying the Bible. And people go, what are you saying? What I'm saying is sometimes, the trans sometimes there's words in English that just they can't measure up to the... I love the ancient languages. They're so deep. They're, there's there's um, like different tenses and moods. I mean, there's so many ways that you can go with this. 
And so when you understand those words, it's so important. There, there's a, a portion of scripture uh, that says that God is a jealous God, right? And that his wrath kindles against those who serve other gods. How many have heard this before? But when you look in the original language, it's actually, it's not threatening as much as it is beautiful. Let me ask you this. If you had someone that you completely love and gave all your love to and they went out on you with someone else, would you have a little jealousy? Some of you have experienced that in your marriages and now you're not married any longer or maybe you reconcile, but how many have ever felt that feeling of betrayal? And so it shows me that God has emotion and jealousy isn't like, I'm gonna kill you. It's, can't you see how much I love you? Can't you see how much better this relationship is than that relationship? And then even the word wrath, see the word wrath in English is really tough. It just means that you're angry and mad. But that word in the Hebrew literally means that, that he's, he's vexed. Like he has this desire for you to see how much better this relationship is. It's not about I'm angry and mad at you. It's about don't you see how good this relationship could be? You're off somewhere else. You're in the weeds. You think the grass is greener, but it's a dead end. It's a dead end. Come back to me because I love you so much. It's like this lover who's been betrayed and wants you back. It's important to see these things. And so what I see as I begin to dig into this is, listen, God isn't out to get you. He wants to get you back. Not in revenge, but win your heart. Can you see how it's important that we're salt and light so people can hear this God and see this God who loves and cares for them? Just like the sun, even if you had a bad day, even if you had the worst night, even if you haven't done everything right, guess what? The sun's still shining and all you have to do is walk out into the sun. It's always there. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. But we have this choice to make. Do we want to live hell on earth? going our own way against the grain of love. See, I pictured the love of God like this, this raging. You ever seen people like on YouTube, um, really smart people who get on these boats in the rapids and check me out what I'm doing. It's like, whoa, it's like some crazy stuff that I would never do. But can you imagine with these wild, crazy rapids just flowing so fast and so furious? Can you imagine trying to go against that flow? See, that's how I picture the love of God. It's like this fierce, raging river that's going one direction. It's love. It's always moving forward. It's progressing. But what happens is when you turn and you go against the grain of love, it turns into wrath. It's the same thing. It's interchangeable, but you're going against the way that God has called you to live and to be. And it's not because he hates you. He's trying to direct you and say, just get in my flow. It's so much easier when you're in the flow. Does that make sense? So think about the people that Jesus was speaking to at this time. I mean, they certainly did not have major influence in the world. I mean, they weren't leaders of mega churches. Come on, right? Not that I have an issue with that, but I'm saying there wasn't this great, like, look at me, and I, I've got all this pull and these things I can do. I mean, these were people who were extremely poor, 
and most likely lacking in every area of their life. And Jesus says, you are salt. You are light. I see this all through the ministry of Jesus. Uh, Was it Jamie Englehart that said, if you look at the life of Jesus, he never was calling out the sin in somebody. He was always calling out the sun within them. And son, it applies to you ladies as well. We understand the Bible's written in a patriarchal manner, but when it says sons, it means daughters as well. It makes sense? And so this is just a powerful revelation to see. See, we tend to think that we are most powerful and influential when we can promote ourselves, when we can manage our world and manipulate the people around us. This, this is what we would call the way of the world. That's why Paul tells us in Romans, he says, don't be conformed to this world. He's not saying people, he's saying a system, a way of doing things. Don't be conformed to that, but be transformed, right? Transfigured, literally like Jesus was on the mountain in front of the disciples, the three disciples. He was transformed, metamorpho, into something brand new. He's saying you're transformed by changing this. I'm telling you, the mind's powerful, isn't it? But again, we tend to think that we're most powerful and influential when we promote ourselves, when we can manage our world, manage those things around us, and manipulate the people around us. And it seems to me like Jesus thinks exactly opposite of that. His way is all about others first. Isn't it? I mean, can you see how this goes against the grain of just... I mean, empire and religion and these ideas, Jesus was, I mean, he was stirring the pot quite a bit. He wasn't crucified because he was talking about like life after death. He was crucified because he's talking about life here on earth now, that we need to get things together and get it straight, that the kingdom of God works completely differently. This is making sense. So Jesus says that we are salt and we are light. He encourages us to do what? To do good works in order to show the goodness of the Father, but instead, I think many times, what we've done, me included, right? Instead of being full of flavor, full of revelation, I like that word light, because in the scripture a lot, light and darkness really, it it alludes to the idea of darkness being ignorance, not understanding, and light is revelation, right? And so it's that word that, that full of flavor with lots of revelation of who God really is, and when people awaken to that, well, it's good for them to awaken to it. But when we awaken to it, you know what's awesome about that? We, we, we tend to not try and sell ourselves anymore or manage our world around us or manipulate the people around us. See, that's the world system, but that isn't the gospel. That's not the Jesus way. Think about this. To sell love is prostitution. To try and manage love is to turn that love into law. To manipulate love for your own coercion or your own benefit is to counteract the life of love that Jesus has called us to. And so it's really important that we see this. So instead of trying to sell love and manage love and manipulate love, you know, maybe we should get the real point of what Jesus is saying because otherwise we become tasteless in our proclamation of God's love. Think about that God is love and his word, which John tells us the word of God is Jesus, who's the light of the world. And yet to these people, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. Let me say this to be clear. You aren't Christ, but you are in union with him. 
He's the reason that you exist. He's that energy force, if you will. I was talking to a guy on a job a couple years ago, and he was saying that he didn't believe in God. And I'm like, oh, okay. He goes, now I, I see, you know, obviously, because, you know, I'd get up every day, put a soapbox, and have my Bible. And I'm just kidding. I threw my life. I never, I never pushed Jesus on people. But he knew something. He's like, yeah, I think you're in the, in the God, you know. I said, well, yeah, I mean, that's really my source of life. He goes, yeah, I don't really, I can't, I can't see that. And he's really in the science. I said, oh, you're in the science? So am I. Science is awesome, man. Which blew him away because a lot of times Christians don't want to believe science. But I think science is awesome and shows so many things to be true about God. And so we're talking a little bit. He goes, well, I don't really believe in God. I believe that we just, uh, we're, there's an energy this is his term. He said, there's an energy. There's like this source and it's brought everything together. And then, you know, we came out of this and that and all that stuff. And he was going on and he goes, and then I believe when we die, we return to the energy. And I said, wait a minute. He's like, what? I said, so we believe the exact same thing. He looked at me. And I said, but I just call the energy God. He didn't know what to say after that. It's cool when you can just converse with people and go, oh, we're on the same page more than you think. That source of life, that energy you're talking about? Yeah, I just call it God. And he's like, huh. And then he just turned around and kept painting. <laughs> but, but it's good. I wasn't putting him down. I was, I was including him saying, dude, we're like right there. That is so cool. Sure, we have some different ideas about, you know, origins and all that. But I'm not going to get into all that with someone. I just want him to see the truth of God's love and his goodness. And that, that connection that he believes he's part of, because guess what? I'm going to return right? All spirits, the scriptures tell us return to God. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You can call it energy if you want. There's certainly some energy there. You've been to those Holy Ghost charismatic services, right? Okay. There's a whole lot of energy going on. Hallelujah. Don't worry, I'm not going to start running. You don't have to follow me. But if you want one of those churches, you can find one. And they're awesome. We all got our flavor, right? And so it's really about presenting this idea that we are in complete union with God. And when you think about how Jesus is talking here, he's, he's talking to these people as if they were his body, an extension of him. This is the real you. This is who you are. It brings a whole new meaning when you think about it to Paul's assertion that we are each a part of his body. So think about this. If the real you, say the real me, if the real you is the thing that shines and brings revelation, then the you that doesn't let it shine must be a false version. Maybe it's an untrue identity. We could say it's the bushel basket that hides the light. See, I, lo I, love, I love story, I love imagery. It just, it really brings things to light. Look what the Apostle Paul says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's start with verse 6. He says, the light source is founded in the same God who said, light be. Think about this. And light shone out of darkness. God is always trying to light up the darkness, always trying to bring revelation where ignorance and, and not understanding is. Look at this. He lit the lamp in our understanding so that we may clearly recognize the features of his likeness in the face of Jesus Christ reflected within us. Think about this. The same God who said, let there be light, who let light shine out of darkness has kindled the light in our hearts. And people need to see this, don't they? But so many times we cover it with that bushel basket and it's usually that, that false identity 
I call it an identity crisis. We don't know who we are. Man, this is powerful. We have got to understand who we are. But look at verse seven. He says, and now, say and now, in the glow of this glorious light, here we are. Say, I'm glorious. He's made me glorious. It's not, it's not offensive. Jesus said, the glory, Father, that you have given me, I now give to them. Come on, you're glorious. This is awesome. But look at this. And now in the glow of this glorious light and with unveiled faces, unveiled, in other words, revelation, I'm beginning to see, we discover this treasure where it was hidden all along in these frail skin suits made of clay. Now, some translations say in these earthen vessels or jars of clay. You've heard this before? He says, we did not invent ourselves. We are God's idea to begin with in the dynamic of his doing and amazing engineering. But I want you to see something here. My dad used to have this joke, this joke, I think. It was like, he'd read this verse and he'd say, so look at the crack pot next to you, you know, jars of clay and how many earthen vessels and say, hey, there's some goodness in you, right? Something like that. But this is really cool, you guys. The word translated earthen vessel here or clay, clay jar is the word in the Greek. It's ostrakinos and it comes from the Greek word ostrakon or ostrakon. You know what that word is in English? oyster. It's oyster. What a great visual picture of how we carry a very valuable pearl within us. We were going through some family videos over the last month or two, and Kristen's been digitizing them, and we've got stuff in, let's see, uh, is it VHSC, uh, mini DVD, v VHS. Anyone heard of a VHS? Anyone watch the Goldbergs? That movie's so hilarious because that's my era. And I'm like, that whole be, rewind, be kind, rewind, and the whole video thing. I'm like, oh, dear God, that, I did that once. They charge you two bucks because you didn't rewind the tape. Anyway, so, so we have, I lost my train of thought. Oh, so yeah, so we're going through these family videos. And there's this video of my mother-in-law, Grandma Sharon, and she's with little Bianca. How many know little Bianca? She's probably watching today. And I think... They were at the Sea World or something like that. Well, they had this little thing where you would go into and you would pay and you would actually buy an oyster and then they would open the oyster and see if there's a pearl inside and then the guy would come out, you know, he was trained professional, I'm sure, and say, oh, I'm looking at this and it's worth $18. You'd be like, yay, I only paid 16 you know. <laughs> but think about this. They would open the oyster and what was inside? A pearl. Now think about... This imagery now, he's saying that there's this glorious light, it's unveiling our faces, and then he uses this word, he said it's been hidden all along in this oyster, this, this clay jar, right? This earthen vessel, which shows me something. Paul's trying to say, there's value within you even if you don't see it. Because when you see an oyster, I mean, who was the first person to discover this? Like, they're just going along like, oh, what is that? And like, oh, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pull it apart. His buddy's like, why would you pull it apart? What would, oh my gosh, look what's inside. And then suddenly there was value in this thing, right? I think too deep on things, okay? Just, just, just roll with me. But now we have value. This word oyster is huge to me. What a great visual picture of how we all have this valuable pearl within us. If you are going through life and you feel like I'm just a clay pot, I'm just an earthen vessel, it's exciting because what that word means is you're actually an oyster who has value hidden within you. So let the light of Christ show you who you truly are. 
Let it open you up. Let it unveil your face to the truth of who you really are. And think about this. The cosmic value of that clay pot can never compete with the treasure it holds. So even on your worst day, when you can't even face yourself in the mirror because of what happened the night before, Holy Spirit there is to remind you the reason that you've made these decisions and you've gone that way is because you don't see the value within you that I see. This is life-changing, you guys. Man, it gets, I'm sorry, I'm getting emotional. It's beautiful. The gospel is so beautiful. If people could see the value within them. People aren't changed by being told all the things that are wrong about them. Most people have been told that all their life. True change comes when you're told how good you are, the value that's within you, that you already possess and hold. Awaken to your righteousness. Awaken to life in Christ. Who, this relationship that's been offered, it's there. It's, it's just sitting there waiting for you to receive it and behold it and say, yes, this is who I am. I'm a child of God. And when you do that, that simple act of faith beyond what you see that you think you truly are, when you do that, then it's, that's when things begin to change from the inside out. It's awesome. That's why I stand before you today. That's why I preach the gospel. It's been life-changing for me. And I want it to be life-changing for you. So think about this. When that false identity that you have is shattered, the world can see Christ in you. It's getting rid of that veil, those, those things. Think about this. Christ is like the light that shines through the cracks of these earthen vessels. There's something in there. There's something in there. You ever watch some of these movies like Jumanji and stuff, and there's always like, there's a glow from the other room or a glow from the box. You're like, what's in there? What's in there? Isn't that cool to think about God actually sees you like that? That as you're walking around, he wants people to go, whoa, whoa, what's, what's in there? What's in there? This looks good, man. I need some of that in my life. Come on. If we're, if we're not drawing people to it, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men onto me. You know in the Greek that word draw means to drag? Literally drag you to him? This shows you the purpose that he has to have a relationship with you. Not forcing you, but saying, I'm going to be so good that you can't help but embrace a relationship with me. What if people saw that in us? What if they saw that through us? That's what Jesus wants us to be, the salt and the light. Paul says this in Ephesians 2.10, one of my top 10 favorite scriptures. He says, for we are God's handiwork. Some translations actually say masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do what? There it is again. Good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's already done. It's already there. Take it, receive it, walk in it. Think about that. You're a beautiful masterpiece. Someone needs to hear this today. I don't know if you're here. I don't know if you're online. You are a beautiful masterpiece. You have value within you. You are literally God's handiwork revealed to planet earth. You are the salt and the light, right? You're a life of tasty goodness and revelation of God's love. Maybe you need to say that every morning when you wake up and, and look in the mirror, right? One more thing I want to look at here, I'm, getting, I'm digging deep today, is the Greek word translated good work is also translated beautiful deeds. Beautiful deeds. Isn't that awesome? 
Do you know this word in the Greek is used in this portion where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount? When he says, let your good works sh- you know, show forth to glorify God, it's in one other place in Matthew, this particular word. There's a point before the, the crucifixion where Jesus is just hanging out with some people in a house and a woman walks into the house, most likely a prostitute. Oh, a prostitute. Yep, Jesus allowed anyone to approach him. Isn't that cool? So she walks into the house and she has this really expensive flask or jar of perfumed oil. And she breaks it, and she pours it over his head. Now, of course, we're like, oh, my gosh. I mean, like the guys there, you could have sold that and given the money to the poor like they didn't get it. But, you know, in this time that when you anointed someone with oil, it would usually be a priest or a king. You were saying, okay, they have authority now to speak with the voice of God. They have authority. This woman, who most likely was a prostitute, saw the value, saw the light in the eyes of Jesus. But at the same time, listen to me she was reflected back and saw the value of herself. And I read stories like this, I'm like, this wasn't random. Like, it's so easy to just read a scripture and go, that was a cool religious story. Awesome. But at some point before this happened, Jesus must have had some type of connection or um, run in or I don't know what the word is but some kind of like this woman met Jesus and something happened otherwise why would she approach him and do this and for her to do that it's like she had to walk past all the judging eyes and those who looked down on her and had already labeled her as a sinner and say I don't care about that because this man has changed my life and I'm going to anoint him because he has shown worth and value in my life she's a prostitute But he's saying, listen to me, this is crazy to even try to comprehend. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Think about this. Her eyes were reflecting the beauty of Christ. She actually saw worth and value in herself because of Jesus. This is how when Jesus encountered people labeled as sinners who were operating out of false identity. This is how he could say to them, do you ever notice he would say to them, go and sin no more? And we interpret it as, you better not be sinning. But what I see is Jesus showed worth and value in the heart of a person. He says, okay, so how are you gonna live now? You don't have to work that way or walk that way or do that thing anymore. Why? Because that's not who you are. See, just telling people, stop sinning. That's great. But when you show them the value, their worth, their true identity, they're going to make better and different decisions. Does that make sense? And so Jesus was always finding that potential, that goodness, that value in someone. And then he could say, without condemnation, go and sin no more. You don't have to practice that. You don't have to live that life anymore. It doesn't say, but I'm convinced that if she was a prostitute, that that life was behind her now because she saw value in who she was. When we see people doing crazy stuff, when we see people just acting out ridiculous in life, saying and doing things, the first thing we shouldn't do is go, yeah, look at that horrible person. We should say, wow, they don't know who they are. They don't see the pearl within. They don't see the value within them because if they did, they wouldn't do the crazy stuff. I think that's why it's easier for me now to not, doesn't mean I'm always perfect at this, but to not judge people. If someone acts out or says something at, at the store or does something different ways, my, my, 
My immediate response isn't like, yeah, you want to go? That was back in the day, right? Now my response is, wow, Holy Spirit, they don't know their value. They don't see who they are. How in this moment can you help me to show them in any way their true value? That's why Jesus said, love your enemies. Because I think when you begin to see true value in every person you come in contact with, just like Jesus did, you don't have any enemies anymore. Wow. It's so good. I want to wrap up with this final scripture. Let's go back to Matthew 5. I'm going to read 13 through 16 again, but I love it here in the message translation. I'll just read this. Just close your eyes if you want. Listen to this. It's beautiful. And then we'll close up for the day. Listen to this. Let me tell you why you are here. All right, Jesus, tell me. I'm listening. I'm on the side of this mountain. I want to hear your words. Why am I here? Here's what Jesus says. You're here to be salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as a city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, don't, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I put you here on a hilltop, on a light stand, what do we do? Shine. Keep open house. Listen to this. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, this is big, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. Isn't that good? Does it bring a little more depth to the idea that you're the salt of the earth? You're the light of the world? That you literally, you literally with the Christ in you can change the world around you. And it doesn't mean that you have to go on street corners with bullhorns and tell people they're all going to hell. You can literally initiate relationship with people. I said this recently in my latest vlog that life is all about relationships. I mean, at the end of the day, that's what it comes down to. In this phase of my life, I'm realizing all the money in the world, all the, you know, the levels of, of you know, status, all those things, they really don't matter. What really matters is my relationship with my wife, my family, my friends, with people. Because I really want people, think if we lived in a world where, where everyone saw their value. Say bye to war. Say bye to skirmishes. Say bye to divorce. Say bye. Why? Because we see value in every person we come in contact with. Now listen, I know it sounds like a utopia. I'm not saying I live that every day. Right? You have those people. Right? When you're on the plane and they just don't want to listen. Right? I mean, come on. I mean, we have those days. You're like, dear Jesus, help me right now. Maybe I should listen to some scripture. Turn off the metal for a while. I'll get back into the zone, right? But it's important that we see value in every single person. And as we do, it opens up this conversation. It opens up relationships that we build with people. And then we let Holy Spirit take it from there. We say, Holy Spirit, work, work on their heart wherever you need to. Work on my heart wherever you need to. And what I found is that I've sat at tables and had discussions with people that 20 years ago I would have never imagined I would have done because I was so indoctrinated in a certain way of thinking that oh, I can't talk to those people. What if they rub off on me? I think God's bigger than that. 
Know your limits. I mean, if you're, if you're a recovering alcoholic, don't go witnessing in the bar. Probably a good idea, right? I mean, be smart about those things. But I believe all of us have a calling. And it's not just in these four walls. How are we going to reach the world if we just stay in here and have our little bless me club? It's about the world, amen? Awesome, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the scripture. We thank you just really for your love for us and your grace. The fact that you want to awaken us to the truth of who we are. Not just for ourselves. And there's a season maybe where we need that time where we're recentering, refocusing, finding out who we are. But once that happens, we actually, as the best version of ourselves, the, the version that you've made us to truly be, we can begin to reach others so that they can reach their full potential in relationship with you. I pray that above all else today, as we walk out of here, as we go through our week, that we would see that we have value within that we're not just a clay pot, we're an oyster. There's value within us. There's a pearl within us that's waiting to get out and bless the world. You're so good, God. Just bless your people. Continue to remind us of our right standing with you, of your goodness, of your mercy, of your love, of your grace. And as you do, we respond to that. We reciprocate. And then we turn our focus outward toward others. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.